Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. All right, here's what I want to do to start today. I want you to grab a pen and paper, open up the notes app on your phone, or find a marker and write on your kid's forehead, whichever is easiest. We're going to play a little word association game. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to write down the first thought that comes to your mind. Are you ready? So we'll start with an easy one. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear the word Frederick? Write down whatever comes to mind. All right, let's keep going. Let's do another word. What's the first thing that you think of when you hear the word animal? Again, I'm going to give you a few seconds. All right, next word, summer. Family. Restaurant. Netflix. I know what some of you are going to write for that one. Keep it to yourself. Collective. All right, and the last word, Christians. A few years ago, a church planner that I knew was getting ready to start to plan plan a church in California. And for context, California is a lot like Maryland when it comes to that the majority of people don't go to church. Now, Maryland is more de-churched in that people who kind of grew up going to church or maybe it was a priority at one point in time, but they've walked away at some point in their life. Now, California is mostly unchurched people, right? People who church was never a priority for them. And a few months before they launched, they set up a booth at a farmer's market and they had this huge whiteboard and on the middle of it was the question, what do you think of when you hear the word Christians. And anybody who walked by could write down an answer. And of course, there were the typical answers, God, Jesus, worship, holy, church. But the board was also full of other words that came to people's minds. And the word that stuck out the most to me was right in the center of the picture that he shared on Instagram. Boring. Boring. Now, I don't know what you wrote down for collective or Christians, but I hope it wasn't boring. But here's the truth. There is a public perception that Christians are boring, that Christianity is boring, that church is boring. And it might be true, but should it be? Today, we're closing out our series on being a good neighbor And just because this is the last weekend of this sermon series doesn't mean that you don't need to stop praying for, serving, and bringing good news to your neighborhood. It simply means next week we're moving on to a new sermon series. But I fully expect to keep hearing stories about you all being the best neighbors possible. But today, as we finish up this series, here's what I want to talk about. Partying. Yes, partying. Because we should be partying with our neighbors. Now, I'm guessing for most of us, the first thing that comes to mind when we think about church is not throwing parties. 
And yet it's a recurring theme in the biographies of Jesus. And it's actually a recurring metaphor in the stories that Jesus told. And I can't help but wonder what would happen if we threw better parties. Because I think if we partied more, right, if we celebrated more, it would be a small glimpse of heaven on earth. Now, here's a story from Jesus' own life. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he performed many miracles, healing people who were born crippled or who were blind, feeding tens of thousands of people by multiplying fish and bread, walking on water. But did you know that his first miracle was at a party? It was a wedding in Cana, and Jesus was a guest along with his mother and a few of his followers. And this is what happened in John 2. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Sometimes people tell me that they think the Bible is outdated, but this sounds like a 2020 problem to me. In fact, let me paraphrase this for our current situation. The wine supply ran out during quarantine, so mom began to yell, we have no more wine. Does this sound like any of your houses, teachers, parents who are working from home while helping their kids with distance learning? Skipping ahead a few verses. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, conservatively, that's 600 bottles of wine. And for those of you who don't drink wine, that's a lot of wine. And even if you drink the cheap stuff today, that would be thousands of dollars. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars have had their fill, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. So in an instant, Jesus turns water into wine and he tells the servants to pour a glass and bring it to the MC to try first. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. And I've always wanted to know what the look on Jesus' face was when this happened. Right? Did, he be, did he have a smirk because he knew that the wine was good? Was he excited because he was about to surprise the groom with an incredible wedding gift and actually save the day? I just can't imagine Jesus any other way than joyful at this wedding performing this miracle. And so the MC tries the wine, and this is what he said in John 2, verse 10. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Translation, this is good wine. Also, I love how even 2,000 years ago, the cheap stuff came out later in the night when everyone had already been drinking, right? You do the same thing, local beer at dinner, Coors Light for dessert. The story continues. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him, right? This is Jesus's first miracle, the first time that Jesus showed his power publicly, the first time his followers got proof that he was the son of God and not just a good teacher, the first time he performed a miracle was to make sure a wedding party didn't stop. In fact, he didn't just make sure that it didn't stop. He made the party better. For years, this has kind of been a controversial story about Jesus in fact, some Christians will argue that the wine was non-alcoholic because they can't live with the idea that Jesus would do anything involving wine. 
But to me, the biggest issue with this story isn't that Jesus seems to be okay with people drinking alcohol. My biggest issue with this story is that he didn't turn water into something that tastes better than wine because wine is gross. You heard me right. Red wine tastes like lukewarm Kool-Aid without sugar. White wine tastes like it wants to be a mixed drink, but can't figure out how. And listen, I know a lot of you disagree. In fact, if we were in person right now, I know that some of you would be booing me and shouting out your opinions about wine. But guess what? We're online. And I watch our Sunday services on my TV and it removes the chat. So I can't even see what you all are typing right now. It's one of the few perks about being online is I can say whatever I want. And the only thing that you can do is yell at your computer. Jesus should have turned water into whiskey or a Moscow mule or an old fashioned, something better than wine. But in all seriousness, there are so many things that we can learn from this story. It's a glimpse into Jesus's relationship with his mother. Many scholars believe that Mary's concern about the wine wasn't as an attendee of the wedding, but someone who is actually assisting in the wedding. And so they actually believe that Jesus performed this miracle to save his mother embarrassment. We learned that not every miracle that Jesus performed was so that crowds of people would flock to him because only a handful of people actually knew what he did that day. But the thing I want to point out is Jesus didn't stop the party, but made it better. The problem is that this isn't the view that many people have of Christians, let alone Jesus. Right? I think most people would assume that Jesus would have responded like this. There's alcohol at the party. I'm not sure you should be drinking wine. I can't fraternize with people like you. I have to leave. Wine is the devil's water. And listen, I know that this story doesn't even share with us whether or not Jesus drank the wine. And this message is not me or Jesus saying that you have to drink to have fun. We know that's not true. And we know the Bible also teaches that we shouldn't get drunk. We actually talked about this in a series in 2019 called Guardrails. But the main point is this, Jesus didn't stop the party, he made it better. And we can do the same thing. It all just depends on our attitude. And the best example of this comes from one of my favorite stories in the Bible. That's a parable told by Jesus. Like I said earlier, parties were a part of Jesus's life, but they were also a part of the stories that he told. And this is one of those stories. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Now a prodigal is someone who is reckless or wastefully extravagant. And that's exactly what the main character is. In a moment of selfishness, the prodigal son asks his dad for his inheritance and takes his money and leaves. And when Jesus is teaching this story, he shares that the prodigal wasted all of his money on wild living. He ended up homeless, starving, and working in a pig site, envying the food the pigs were eating. So he hit rock bottom. But then he has this epiphany and he chooses to go back home to the same father that he disowned and walk, walked away from. And this is what happened in Luke 15. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Now imagine the range of emotions a prodigal is going through at this point. Will my dad be mad? Will he pretend like he doesn't see me? Will he welcome me in? But this is how the dad responds when he sees his son. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And that's easily one of the most beautiful moments in the Bible, a father running to his son. His son said to him, 
Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now, let me break this down for a minute. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something better than you deserve. So justice would be the father punishing the son, ignoring the son, refusing to let the son on his property. That's justice. Mercy is the father welcoming the son with open arms, right? It's forgiving him for what he has done and choosing not to punish him or hold it against him. That's mercy. Grace is the father putting the finest robe on his son, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. But his grace didn't stop there. And kill the, fat and ca- kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In no way does the son deserve to be welcomed home by his father. I mean, for goodness sake, he wished his father was dead and then took his inheritance and ran. He didn't deserve new clothes. He didn't deserve a ring. He didn't deserve a feast. But that's exactly what the father chose to give him because his father chose to give him grace. And the good news of Jesus is that he wants to give you that same grace. In our own way, we've turned our backs on God. Like we resonate with the prodigal son because at some point in our life, we have hit rock bottom. Maybe after a nasty divorce, maybe because of an addiction that's taken over, maybe because of selfishness that's pushed people away, maybe because of years of wandering aimlessly, looking for value and meaning and purpose. Whatever it may be, we have chosen to walk away from God and the life that he wants for us. But it's never too late to come back home to stand before our father with a heart longing for forgiveness and a fresh start. And God's response will be like this father every single time. He will give us grace. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, how far you have run. God will welcome you back into his arms and celebrate that you were lost and now you are found. So for some of you, it's time to come back home to turn around, to stop running from God and run back into his arms. He's ready for you. He's ready to offer you grace. And better yet, he is ready to celebrate. And check out the next line. This is one of the best verses in the Bible. It says this. So the party began. The party began. And remember, this is Jesus telling us this story. So one of the things that he's teaching us is that when a lost son returns home, we party. When there's restoration in a relationship, we party. When there's forgiveness, we party. We party. One of my favorite things about Collective and one of the things I miss the most about doing church together is how you all respond when someone gets baptized. Every church I've ever been a part of does this kind of like polite and subdued, like little like golf clap thing. Like we want to celebrate, but we're in church, so we don't want to celebrate too much. But that's not Collective. When people get baptized in this church, you all get loud. When lost children come home, when people publicly put their faith in Jesus, you party. People yell, people clap. The lobby goes nuts when the person walks out soaking wet. There's hugs and high fives. There are tears. And in a very small way, it's a party. 
And I think that is the same attitude and spirit we need to bring into our relationships and our neighborhoods, right? We party. Someone's birthday, we celebrate. New job, we celebrate. New baby, we celebrate. You made it to Friday after a really hard week. We celebrate. We should party with our neighbors. Now, let me get back to the story of the prodigal son because I wish the story ended with a party. Like that, that's, that's everything you would want, but it doesn't end there. It's like a Marvel movie. There's a post credit scene and it's actually significant in the story and it's often overlooked. And so the party has begun and this is what happens in Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in his house. And so the brother hears the party, right? He probably sees a bunch of horses tied up outside or something. He knows something big is happening. So he asks one of the servants what's going on. And the servant tells him that they're celebrating because his brother has come back home. But check this out. In stark contrast to the father, this is the brother's response. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He's angry. We actually learn that he's jealous, that he thinks it's unfair that his brother gets a party. And while it's easy to judge that brother in this situation, let's not pretend like we don't know and kind of understand how he feels. And this leads to the question we should all be wrestling with today. Are we willing to celebrate the good things in our neighbor's lives or do we only celebrate the good things in ours? Right? And seriously think about that question. Do you celebrate the good things in the lives of the people who are around you or do you only want to celebrate when good things happen to you? Your promotions, your milestones, your traditions, your growth. And the story continues. And this is how the dad responds to the brother's attitude. He says, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love what the father says. He says, we had to celebrate. Are you willing to celebrate the good things in other people's lives? Right? So when it comes to the second half of the story, are you the brother or the father? Do you rejoice when other people rejoice? Do you celebrate the good things that are happening in other people's lives? Or do you sit outside too angry to join in? I'm going back to what we talked about earlier. The whole reason we're talking about this topic today is that most people look at Christian, Christians as the brother who refuses to walk inside instead of as the father who throws the party. But the reason why Jesus told this story was so that people who follow Jesus would be more like the father and less like the brother. The brother in this story should be the least relatable person. Listen, I know this is a weird time to talk about partying with your neighbors because we're barely allowed out of our houses right now. But that means two things. One, you have plenty of time to plan the most epic party ever when all the executive orders have been lifted. Right? When we can finally be together, when we can share a meal together, when, when we can have people over, when you can party, do it. Invite people over, set up a block party for your street, have fun. The second is that just because you can't have people over doesn't mean you can't party with people. Now, let me explain. One of the best books I've read in the past year is called Everybody Always by Bob Goff, and you should definitely read it. In the book, Bob shares about how he travels about half a million miles every year for speaking engagements and for the nonprofit that he runs. 
And because he travels so much, he's actually gotten to know the TSA agents at his local airport. And on one particular day, he was going through security, and instead of handing the TSA agent his ID, he held out his hand and shook the agent's hand. And he said to the TSA agent, I've passed you dozens of times, and I just wanted to thank you for the way that you treat each person in line. It's really amazing. The way you treat people reminds me a lot of the way that Jesus loved people. And the TSA agent looked up with tears in his eyes. He stepped out from behind that little desk, and he came in for a hug. Now, here's the thing. Bob is actually very tall, and this guy was very small. And so Bob writes, his head was basically resting on my chest. It was like a slow dance with hundreds of people in the security line saying, what the heck is going on? Bob continues to share in the story that this was the beginning of his friendship with Adrian. And every time Bob flew, they would just kind of catch up in the security line three minutes at a time. Eventually, Bob and Adrian became friends outside of the airport. And he shared that they even started spending holidays together. Because as Bob puts it, We start by meeting people just three minutes at a time. So what was Bob doing? I think he was throwing a party, right? I think that's how the kingdom of God becomes tangible for people, for our friends, for our neighbors, even for strangers. We love the people that are right in front of us and right next to us. We love people when they least expect it and least deserve it. We throw parties for people who are outside the fold, outside the fence, outside the family. We party with our neighbors. We celebrate the good things that are going on in their lives. So here's what we want you to do this week. This week, we're actually canceling all of our online collectives so you can do something intentional to meet your neighbors. And we encourage you to take that same 90 minutes that you'd spend in your collective and and go out one night or break it up over multiple nights and walk around your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. And if you haven't already met your neighbors, spend three minutes getting to know them. And then on Friday at 5 p.m., we want you to try to have a happy hour with your neighbors, right? And what that means is what we want you to do is hang out on your front porch your front stoop or the common lawn and your shared apartment. Fill up a cooler with drinks or snacks to share and let people grab something as they walk by. Now, make sure you have a ton of Lysol wipes and you're wearing a mask. Do what you're supposed to do. But from six feet apart, have a happy hour with your neighbors. Throw a party. Now, if you already know your neighbors, then just have everyone come outside and sit and hang out. Follow the guidelines, of course but we want you to take a few moments just to hang out and have fun, to celebrate the things that have gone on in the lives of your neighbors in the past few months. Because even though the world has changed, it doesn't mean there haven't been birthdays or promotions or a million other little things that can be celebrated. And here's the thing, you're allowed to do that. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but you are allowed to rejoice in the good things that are going on in your life and the lives of the people that are around you. And although we might not be able to party like we used to, we will one day, until then, we can still bring a party to our block three minutes at a time. Let's pray. God, thank you that you created us um, realistically to be people who celebrate. God, people who have joy, um, people who who take time and energy and resources and talents um, 
to bring a party to other people, to celebrate other people. And God, we know when that happens, it's a small glimpse of heaven on earth. So God, I pray this week that we party more. God, that we celebrate more, that when people think about collective, they don't think boring or lame. They think that these are the best people to be around. They have fun. They're intentional. They care about what's going on. God, that they celebrate the good things that are going on, not just in their own lives, but in the lives of the other people that they're around. God, I pray that we can be that church. God, I pray that we can be a church that parties well. God, that celebrates with our neighbors. God, I pray that we can be the church that when other people see what happens when we hang out and the joy that we have and the fun that we have and the excitement that they have, they wonder what's going on and we get to share with them the good news that you brought. God, we get to share with them what love looks like and grace looks like. God, what peace looks like and hope looks like. God, that we can set ourselves apart and we can just look different than what other people look like, or even what other people assume that we look like. God, give us opportunities this week to continue to meet our neighbors. God, give us the time and the courage to sit outside and meet some people. God, even from six feet apart, even three minutes at a time, God, just to celebrate what's going on. God, it's been a hard season. And the truth is we don't know what's gonna happen next but God, we know that good things have been happening in our lives and the lives of the people in this church, the lives of our community, the lives of this city. So God, help us have the courage and confidence to celebrate those things this week. God, we thank you that you love us. God, we're thankful that uh, there are moments when we're the prodigal son and there are moments uh, when we're the dad. God, I pray that this week we can be both. God, that we can sprint back toward you and we can also throw the biggest party possible. God, thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.